0: Thank you, Abby, very much. Uh, now I'd like to introduce uh, Jason, our speaker, to you. Uh, yeah, yeah. Jason, tell us where's home for you?
1: Home is uh, Batsea in uh, central London. We live on a council estate there. We've been there for about 12 years. Right.
0: And what do you enjoy most about living there?
1: You know, one of the things that we love about council estates are that there's a real sense of community, that you don't always get in other parts of London. Uh, So we love the fact that actually in this community, of course, like every area, there is some transition and people sort of moving on, but there are also a lot of people who've been there for generations. And it's just great to be in the midst of a big city where people are there for the long haul. And there's a bit more of getting to know each other than they can sometimes be in other cities in uh, London, other parts of London.
0: Thank you. Tell us a bit about your family.
1: Yeah, I'm married to uh, Rachel. We've got four children. Uh, they are roughly 14, 13, 11 and 8.
0: Great. Yeah. Right. Now, your role in London City Mission is Director of Ministries. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Tell us a bit, what's that involved?
1: Yeah, so, so London City Mission, if you don't know, is a, a mission agency in London that's all about helping churches in London to reach out to those communities in London who are least likely to hear about Jesus, which tend to be those on the margins. And so my job is to uh, look after the 100 or so missionaries that are part of this mission agency, and part of that is teaching and training and coaching. Uh, part of that is sort of leading the, the, the organization more generally. Part of that is trying to be on the ground with some of these missionaries and seeing the, the wonderful work that's going on across London. But we exist to serve the church, so we're not there to do the work. We want to encourage churches to be better able to do it themselves. So that's what we're about.
0: Thank you very much. Well, we're looking forward to preaching to us. Let me pray for you uh, before you do. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for the work of London City Mission, uh, historically bringing the gospel to those uh, who are least likely to hear it. And we thank you for Jason and his role there. And we pray, Lord, that you would anoint him with your spirit this morning, that as he teaches us your word, we might hear your voice speaking to us. So please come among us, we pray, and uh, teach us through him. For Jesus' sake, amen. amen.
1: Okay, we've prayed. I'm just going to pray. Forgive me, pray one more time. Um, struck by verse 33 as Abby was reading. Um, Cornelius said, we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. And as it was, Lord God, all those years ago, so it is today. We, we come together to hear you speak. And so please, Father, your, your servants are listening. Speak to us by the power of your spirit, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I want to take you back to the year 1998. In 1998, people like Simply Red and Fat Boy Slim and the Spice Girls were still all household names. And I was uh, sitting in a cafe in London, eating tagliatelle. And I remember this distinctly because I hate tagliatelle, but I was nevertheless in this cafe eating tagliatelle with a group of people who I didn't know that well. But somehow, uh, it was okay being in this group with this uh, group of people. Uh, And they'd invited me to this lunch. And at some point in the midst of this lunch, One of the people, a woman called Kazumi, shared the gospel with me. And the the bit of the story that I want you to hang on to is is simply this, that Kazumi and I were very different from one another. Kazumi's heritage was from Japan, mine was from uh, the Caribbean. Uh, She was part of the uh, library crew and I was part of the clubbing massive. Uh, Despite my clubbing credentials, uh, I was more of an introvert, she was more of an extrovert. And yet, despite these differences, Kazumi had cautiously yet courageously shared the gospel across cultural difference. And if you'd been a fly on the wall, I guess it would have seemed very ordinary, very normal, as we talked over Tagliatelli. And yet, God was doing something extraordinary in that moment, as he, he changed Kazumi's heart to witness to me, and changed my heart to be ready to receive it. And it's this kind of witness... Courageously communicating a cross-cultural difference which is increasingly necessary in the multicultural melting pot of the cities that we live in. Me, London, you here in Oxford. We have rich and we have poor and many of us uh, are feeling the pinch, are we not, uh, in the current climate that we live in. There are the religious and the irreligious. There are the ethnic differences among us, whether they be Indian, African, Chinese, we've heard some of them even this morning. There are those with homes, those without homes. There there are seniors suffering in silence in their homes alone. There are teenagers terrified to log on online for fear of what they might face. There are many cultural differences among us, and yet in the midst of this cultural difference, we often encounter Christian distance. What do I mean by that? I mean that sadly, in the midst of all of these opportunities, if you like, very often, everyday Christians are increasingly distant from everyday non-Christians. Uh, the Evangelical Alliance did some research recently. Uh, they call it Talking Jesus. They interviewed 4,000 people, surveyed 4,000 people this year, and they found this startling fact that only 53% of non Christians say that they know a Christian. So take that in for a moment. 53% of non Christians say that they know a Christian. Not that they don't like a Christian or they find them weird or anything like that. Just they don't know a Christian. That's one in two people. Isn't that extraordinary? Which suggests to me that we are a generation of Christians that sometimes struggle to engage uh, those around us with our faith. And so you see, witness across difference is increasingly a necessary part of sharing our faith, whether it be ethnic difference, whether it be socioeconomic difference, whether it be simply church culture versus the culture of those out there. And all of that brings us to Acts chapter 10. This is a monumental chapter. And unfortunately, uh, we've been hearing from Abby and others that the the wonderful discipline of working verse by verse. Let me be honest, we can't do that today because there's just too much of it. And yet this is a wonderful chapter because in it we find this divine announcement that, that makes it possible for over 3 billion people on the planet to claim to, to know that their worship of Jesus is acceptable. Because here we see the gospel and God, well see God, smile on the gospel going out beyond Jerusalem, which is what we see in Acts chapter 2, beyond Samaria, which is what we see in Acts chapter 8, to what was then the ends of the earth, Acts chapter 10. In other words, to people like you and me, whatever their culture, whatever their background. And it highlights how God works to bring that message going out about. It highlights how God works to bring about that message going out to the world How it comes about. And here's the big idea. Here's what I would like us to take away above all else. Simple thing. God expands his kingdom by expanding our horizons. God expands his kingdom by expanding ours, yours and mine, horizons. When I was uh, 18, my best friend uh, had an eye test. He'd managed to go 18 years of his life without having an eye test, even though he knew that he was struggling to see, and he gave me a ring on his 18th birthday and said, uh, you'll never believe it, Jason, Bromley High Street is amazing. That's, that's where we lived. He said, he, he said, look, there are shops I just never even knew they were there, and it's a lot busier than I thought. There are so many more people. Now, if you actually know Bromley High Street, then you'll know that our horizons were quite limited age 18, but but something in his experience reflects what god was doing in peter because you see god was opening up peter's eyes to see people that he had neglected to see god expands his kingdom by expanding our horizons and i want us to just explore that through two particular themes firstly god expanded peter's welcome and secondly God expanded Peter's witness. He expanded his welcome and he expanded his witness. We're going to spend longer on the first of those two. So let's dive in. God expanded Peter's welcome. That means that that Peter realized that he needed to widen his welcome to all kinds of people. Just as Kazumi in that story that I started with, threw the net wide as she invited me to lunch with her friends, even though we were different from one another, and shared the gospel. So did Peter. Uh, Let's zoom into uh, verse 9 to 16 as we start. Uh, We heard in verses 1 to 8 that uh, an angel had appeared to this man called Cornelius, a Roman centurion, and told him to send a delegation to get Peter. And that's what is happening as we pick it up in verse 9. And it says, About noon, that the following day, as they, the delegation, were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went on the roof to pray. And he became hungry, wanted something to eat, and while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. And he saw heaven opened, and something like a large sheet being let down to the earth by its four corners. Perhaps we're meant to think of something like a tablecloth at this point. And on this tablecloth, verse 12, it contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and uh, birds. And in verse 13, Peter hears this voice from the Lord that says, get up, Peter, kill and eat. This is a tablecloth full of all kinds of different animals, and so uh, many of them would have been ritually, ceremonially unclean. And Peter, following his cultural and religious upbringing, will not touch uh, any of it. Surely not, verse 14, Peter replied. I've never eaten anything impure and unclean, and yet the voice comes a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. And again, and again, and again, three times Uh, this happens. But Peter, because of his cultural and religious background, won't touch it. And it's a parable about people. The food laws that were given in Leviticus chapter 11 were to keep God's people holy and separate from others. But now it's as if the doors of the private members club have been flung open and God is revealing that all people Can become his people by faith. And and flick over with me to verse 28 in your Bibles, and you'll see where Peter gets to in his thinking as God reveals to him what he's trying to say. In verse 28, uh, Peter now says to Cornelius, You are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile, but here it comes, are you with me? We're in verse 28. But God has shown me that I should not call who? I heard a little murmur from over here. But God has shown me that I should not call Anyone. anyone impure or unclean. This is a parable about people. All people are clean, are able to access God's blessings by faith. It doesn't mean that all are saved or sinless, but all are special, made in the image of God. And no one is off limits because of their cultural background. And the most fundamental way that Peter is able to express this new understanding is in his welcome, in his accepting welcome of others. In verse 29, we read this. So when I was sent for... I came without raising any objection. See, what God was doing was expanding Peter's welcome. And it's a pattern that we see throughout these verses. Just come with me to verse 23, where we see that Peter welcomes three visitors. Do you see verse 23? Then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. It wasn't even his house, and yet he invites people in. Uh, as guests. In verse 25, Cornelius welcomes Peter. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. And then to verse 29, where we've uh, got to, Peter accepts welcome when he wouldn't have accepted it before. So so part of what biblical welcome looks like is not just being a host, but being a, a guest as well, being willing to be a humble guest in the presence of difference. And Luke puts all of these references here, 23, 25, 29, as we've seen, because he wants us to see that welcome is a key component of cross-cultural witness. Here's the bottom line. It's not possible to credibly call people to become sisters in Christ if we will not share our space with them. Will we? It is simply not possible to talk credibly about people becoming brothers with us if we will not break bread with them, by which I mean eat with them. It says something very profound when we invite someone into our personal space, doesn't it? Whether that's on the road, whether that's under your roof, whether that's in a cafe, whether that's in your kitchen. Will we? just came back from a holiday where a fellow believer gave me keys to her home. And she said, these are yours for the time that you're here. These are not those keys. That would be uh, unusual and frustrating for my host. <laughs> but, but nevertheless, she opened the fridge and she, she said, help yourself to whatever you'd like. Now, why would she do that? She did that because God had welcomed her. Because Christ had left the the palace of heaven, died on a cross, so that he could give us a set of keys to his home. In fact, his welcome was so generous that it wasn't merely as if he opens the fridge and lets us see what the heavenly banquet will be like. Jesus Christ himself became bread so that we could feast on him. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God expands his kingdom by expanding our horizons. And wonderfully, that is happening in this community. It's happening in London. It's happening all over Oxford. Uh, Earlier uh, this year, uh, some people from London City Mission were knocking on doors. And uh, uh, they they knocked on one door of a, a, a Middle Eastern man. After 90 seconds, they were invited in. Uh, off the doorstep. They even came away from that uh, encounter with a pair of new pajamas. I don't quite know how that <laughs> happened. But, but sometimes, actually, just knocking on doors can be a way of uh, expressing that, the, yes, I've lived here for a while, but in many senses I'm a guest here and I want to get to know you. Uh, some other people from LCM uh, accompanied volunteers from a church over in Euston, which is sort of North London, as they sought to try and welcome homeless people who uh, slept in the local uh, park. And I know there are many more stories amongst us, even represented in the churches and uh, the church that, that, that we're here in today. I, I've been blessed over the years by receiving the prayer letter of Jerry and Joy Fowler. And in their prayer letter, hearing many stories of how they would invite people from the local community in northern Iraq into their home uh, and show their welcome. And if you don't get their prayer letter, will you sign up to their prayer letter? That is a wonderful way of hearing about how you might welcome difference. Now look, before we move on, here's the big thing I've been saying. Look, God expands his kingdom by expanding our horizons. And I've been saying one part of that is by expanding our welcome. But before we move on, I I want to, I just want to, just point out two mind-blowing things that have happened, building up to what we've just been unpacking in Acts chapter ten. The first thing is that is that Peter has heard this message, this strange message to our ears about food before. If you think back, you might remember in Mark chapter seven that there's a little passage where where Jesus declares all food clean, and of course it. If you know, Mark's Gospel is a, is a retelling of Peter's recollection of his time with Jesus. So, so there was a time before Acts chapter 10 where Peter had heard this kind of message that cultural practices around food had to change. That's the first thing. Second thing, at the beginning of this chapter, verse 5, we read that um, Peter is staying at the house of Simon the tanner. Now, if you don't know much about a tanner, a tanner is someone who works with the skin of dead animals. And so they were someone who was always ritually unclean. And he's staying with him, it seems, long term, in his house. So when it came to Simon the tanner, Peter seemed to be culturally comfortable around his differences. Now, hear this. Here's the point I'm making. It's not that Peter hadn't heard about the need to uh, think about how your cultural practices might need to change before. He'd heard it from the best preacher on the planet. It's not that he's not trying to put some of this into practice. He's staying at the house of Simon the Tanner. But it seems that God, rather than sending Philip, who we find out later has a house in Caesarea in this very place, rather than sending Philip, he sends Peter, who is 35 miles away, to um, Cornelius. In other words, the Lord still seems to have work to do in his heart. It seems that God knows that there are still red lines that Peter will not cross despite his progress. Here's the question. Could it be that we here have heard about the need to widen our welcome before? Could it be that we here are taking steps to put things into practice, even now? But could it be, like Peter, that the Lord still has work to do among us? That perhaps there are still red lines that we will not cross? Could it be that we, for example, are more comfortable welcoming a teacher who's grown up, for example, in a Christian home and come back to church after having a baby than a refugee from a Muslim background who walks in with her baby? It would be strange if there were not areas that felt outside of our cultural comfort zones. There certainly are for me. And the reason I say this is because it means that expanding our welcome is not just for Peter. It's not just for people who've never heard this before. It's for me. And it's for you. First thing, God expanded Peter's welcome. Second thing, more briefly, God expanded Peter's witness. In other words, he didn't just stop at welcome. He shared the good news of Jesus. You may have heard of the uh, contemporary American writer Rosaria Butterfield. She says, the purpose of radical, ordinary hospitality is to take the hand of a stranger and to put it into the hand of our Savior. And that is what we see Peter do. He, He didn't just stop at welcome. God expanded his witness. And we see this as we come to verses 34 and 35. So Peter's been welcomed in by Cornelius and in verse 34 Peter begins to speak and he says, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism but accepts from every nation uh, the one who fears him and does what is right. Now, when it says he accepts those who fear him and does what is right, this isn't a suddenly turning into a gospel of, of works. It's about a humble turning to God. But the interesting thing I want you to pick up is this word, accepts. Do you see it as you look down, verse 35? God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. That word, accepts is a word that Luke uses throughout the book of Luke and then Acts. Do you remember when Jesus stood up in uh, Nazareth and said that he'd come to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour? The actual word there is the same word as this. He came to proclaim the year of the Lord's welcome, the year of the Lord's acceptance. When in that same chapter he, he it tells us that He was the one who was not welcomed or accepted in his hometown. Same word. What did the year of the Lord's favour or the year of the Lord's welcome look like? Well, it looked like welcoming tax collectors and sinners. And here in Acts 10, we see that what he did practically was always meant to be a picture of what he offered spiritually. Welcoming from every nation those who fear him. And by focusing on Cornelius, Luke goes out of his way to show how broad this witness goes. You see, on the one hand, Cornelius is a religious man, a moral upstanding citizen. But on the other hand, Cornelius was a a Roman centurion who lived to oppress the Jews. That was a key part of his role. See, emotionally, Peter may have well struggled to have anything to do with him. Be a bit like a Ukrainian being asked to host and evangelize a Russian general. It's been hard for Peter. And yet Peter's lesson from the Lord is that anyone, whether religious or respected or reviled and rejected, can and needs to hear the gospel. And the call for us today is to follow up our welcome with witness. Summarized in verse 36, here's the message. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. It's peace through Jesus Christ. And here's the implication. If we don't have Jesus Christ, we don't have peace. Without Christ, all people are at war with God. Sunday April 29th, 1945. Pamela Weeks writes in her diary. I arrived at work to see people gathered around a radio. I listened in and heard Winston Churchill announce the end of the war. My first reaction was wild, uncontrollable joy. I galloped like a mad thing and flung my arms around Gordon doesn't tell us who Gordon is, but I presume he was one of her colleagues. You see, Pamela had woken up each day knowing that she was in grave danger and that all those around her were in grave danger. But now the danger was gone. And so there was joy. And the problem is that we often feel like there is no danger. We often live maybe like those around us are not in danger and so sometimes we miss the joy of sharing that a peace agreement is possible through Jesus Christ. Let's reflect for a moment on the non-Christians maybe that we see on an average day, a week, or month. Those people maybe we've subconsciously written off as candidates for Christianity. Maybe people we try to be kind to, maybe we welcome in some way, but we don't confess our faith in Christ to them. Just have a think with me for a moment, which applies most to you. Maybe it's the Somali student at the gym who is at war with God. Maybe it's the super wealthy salesman who seems to have it all, who is at war with God. Maybe it's the rough sleeper trying to find a bed for the night who is at war with God. Maybe it's the family member who wishes you well at family gatherings, who is actually at war with God. Maybe it's the really nice neighbor whose life sometimes seems more morally in line with God's word than yours sometimes, who is at war with God. Maybe it's the friend who right now is quietly trying to decide whether to top up the electric or whether to buy cereal for the children, who is at war with God all need to hear that danger can be averted, that peace can be had, when we put our trust in Jesus Christ. Because as we're reminded in verse 43, as all the prophets testify, that everyone who believes in Jesus receives forgiveness of sins through his name. And then as we read, we can't unpack this, but in verse 44, The presence of God comes into our lives after we put our faith in Jesus. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came and all who heard the message. Do you see the point? Our situation is serious without Jesus. Naturally speaking, we're at war. And the incredible thing is that even the angels who are mentioned in this part of the Bible, well, they're not senior enough to proclaim peace to Cornelius. Peter has to do it. Isn't that incredible? Even the angels aren't senior enough to do it. That's given to Peter. And today that privilege rests with us. It's my privilege to be able to celebrate the many ways in which God is enabling that, despite our weakness. Hallelujah. I mentioned earlier how some people from London City Mission were working with a church in North London, helping them to be hospitable guests outside amongst park benches as they spoke to people who were homeless in the local area. They prayed with them, they lamented with them when they were given permission uh, to do so. And in one case recently, they they were able to witness uh, to the Lord Jesus Christ. And a woman baptized in her youth recommitted to the Lord Jesus there and then and started coming along to church. Uh, Another Lebanese family in in West London uh, heard the knock at the door and answered and received uh, some people in from a local church in West London as guests. And the wife said, I've been praying for the last two nights, asking God for help. And you are the miracle that I needed. Hallelujah. You see, God expands his kingdom by expanding our horizons. He expanded Peter's welcome and he expanded Peter's witness. Will he expand ours? right here in Oxford. I don't remember a word that Kazumi said to me. What I do remember is that she cared passionately about Jesus and she cared enough to say something to me, despite the fact that we were so different from one another. And hear this wonderfully, just like with Cornelius, God was already at work in my heart to make me ready to receive what she had to say, just like he was re- working in Cornelius's heart to make him ready for what Peter had to say. And, and I say that because for all of the testimonies of change that I've shared, that we've heard through this service, it's really fundamentally testimonies of God's grace through our weakness and prayers that I want us to celebrate more than anything else. All glory to Jesus. That even as we seek to expand our horizons, humanly speaking, well, God goes before us, expanding hearts to desire his love even before we get there. Let me pray, and uh, I'll hand back over to Richard. Richard. Loving Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this wonderful, wonderful passage of Scripture, which we've only been able to really uh, think on the surface of. We thank you for how it points to the the importance of welcome as we seek to reach out across different cultures to share something of the, the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we thank you for how the, the language of this passage reminds us of the urgency of the task, because without the Lord Jesus, we are at war with you. We pray, Heavenly Father, that you would indeed give us uh, wisdom on how to cross cultural barriers. you give us courage to step out in faith. And you give us confidence that you go before us, changing hearts, so that even as we stumble and falter and in our weakness seek to share something of Jesus, you go before us changing hearts that they might be ready to receive the good news of the gospel. So please humble us and change us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen.